Good morning. This is Dr. Daniel J. Guerra, and this is Authentic Biochemistry Podcast. Today is 8 July 2023. I think this might be my last lecture on photosynthesis. I'm not giving it the full coverage because I will do that at a later date. I just wanted to talk about this recall as an interim because of that break over the holiday. I'm going to get back to immunoepigenetics definitely by uh, next week. So, but this is a photosynthesis lecture, and uh, I think it's number uh, four or five. So, allow me to return. I wanted to mention to you because we've described the protein pigment complexes, and we said the pigments included chlorophyll which had a similar structure to protoporphyrin-9 in heme biosynthesis and porphyrin ring. And I also mentioned rather just in passing about beta-carotene. And of course, that means we should at least give you some cursory understanding of the biosynthesis of those two pigments um, because they're not produced, obviously, in animal tissues. And most of you are probably um, interested in human biomedicine. So I want to give you this because when I always tell people that I started out in plant biochemistry and moved over into um, microbial and then animal and human biochemistry, uh, oh, probably like almost 30 years ago. And when I started doing that, I realized that plant biochemistry was far more complex than uh, even human biochemistry. And that's not the level of differentiated organ systems and regulation. Absolutely not. And of course, the entire central nervous system and all the musculoskeletal systems in humans is far more elaborated. I'm just talking about basic biochemical pathways. There's many more biochemical pathways with far more discrete elaborations um, that you find in plants and, of course, in some microbes than you do in animal systems. Because plants, remember, are photoautotrophic. That means they synthesize essentially everything from basic inorganic structures, such as carbon dioxide and water, uh, and of course, mineral nutrition from the soil. Uh, so, okay, so let's talk about, I think I'm going to talk first real quickly about uh, chlorophyll biosynthesis and then carotene biosynthesis, and then get back to the splitting of water. And I think I'm going to try to finish that all off um, just in this half hour. All right. So let me kind of get started here. Thinking about the best way to get at it. Yeah. All right. So for chlorophyll biosynthesis, <clears throat> you start off actually with glutamic acid. And then an interesting reaction occurs. There's a synthesis of a glutamyl transfer RNA. And using that as a substrate, you synthesize glutamate 1 semialdehyde, which is then converted to aminolevulinic acid. That's delta aminolevulinic acid. Then several reactions later, which are very common in the pathway for heme biosynthesis for animals and plants, you synthesize protoporphyrinogen 9, 
At that step, an unusual or unique enzyme, I should say, not unusual in terms of uh, biology, there is a magnesium chelatase. And this is when you start frank production of chlorophyll. And this is then going to generate magnesium protoporphyrin 9. Then you get a magnesium methyltransferase reaction, which makes magnesium protoporphyrin 9 monomethyl ester. Another important reaction. Then a few more later, I'm not going through every one, we make a monovinyl protochlorophyllide. And then there is an NADPH oxidoreductase reaction. Um, and that synthesizes chlorophyllide. One more reaction to chlorophyll. So I don't think I really need to go in through all those intermediates. Now, when um, the magnesium protoporphyril 9 monomethyl ester was made, remember that was just a few steps back, um, and then we made the, the vinyl, actually it's 3 8 divinyl protochlorophyllide A. And then there's another, then there's a reaction with NADPH making that 3 8 divinyl chlorophyllide uh, A uh, vinyl product. Now, that next reaction makes a 3 monovinyl chlorophyllide A. And then a geranial, geranial pyrophosphate coming from isoprenoid biosynthesis, C20 isoprenoid. That's when you uh, synthesize, this is making the phytol tail, right? This is when you synthesize geranial, geranial chlorophyll A. And then the final reaction is another reduction, finally to chlorophyll A. So I wanted to point out to you that you start off with amino acid metabolism to build that ring structure. Of course, starting off with delta amino labialinic acid. But there is a component of isoprenoid bus that's absolutely essential for making chlorophyll. Okay, so we're done with that. Now, there are two accessory pigments. Uh, one, uh, I'm only going to mention passing because it's important for the um, color of some very important uh, vegetables. In particular, I'm thinking of tomato, right? All of us like tomato, I certainly do. Tomato is a red-colored uh, um, reproductive organ, and that red color is because of an, a carotenoid known as lycopene. So lycopene is actually directly related to beta-carotene. So let me go through the biosynthetic pathway for you. You start off with glyceraldehyde-3-phosphate. React it with pyruvate. Uh, it's again, plant plant biosynthesis, and that is a 1-deoxyxylose-5-phosphate synthase, and you make 1-deoxyxylose-5-phosphate. A couple three reactions later, you're going to make um, a, a a reaction that utilizes isopentanyl pyrophosphate and dimethyl allyl pyrophosphate to create or to synthesize phyto uh, the geranial geranial diarophosphate. Okay. Now 
And you notice that's a different pathway. You wouldn't start off with acetyl-CoA here. We started off with glyceraldehyde-3-phosphate, right? It's a different way of synthesizing these isoprenolipids. So now you've got GG-DIPP, uh, that's geronogeronodiphosphate. Then there's an enzyme, phytoene synthase, which makes phytoene. Then there's a desaturase and a zeta-carotene isomerase, which generates zeta-carotene. And then there's another desaturase and another isomerase that synthesizes this highly unsaturated isoprenoid long-chain hydrocarbon called lycopene. Then lycopene can be reacted with a cyclase, making uh, an intermediate, and finally alpha-carotene. Then there is a beta-ring hydroxylase followed with an epsilon-ring hydroxylase, and that will make lutein. Okay. Now, the same precursor, lycopene, can be converted by a beta cyclase to the beta carotene. So you get an alpha cyclase for the alpha carotene, beta cyclase for the beta carotene. Again, there's a hydroxylase, and that hydroxylase will make, once you leave beta carotene as the stable product, zeoxanthin. And then zeoxanthin can be converted to canthoxanthin via ketolase or to astaxanthin by a, uh, a different uh, ketolase. Now, that zeoxanthin can also go through an epoxidase to generate vialoxanthin. And then finally, three or four reactions later, a very important plant hormone is made. That's called ABA or abscisic acid. And uh, I'm not going to get into that whole discussion because that has a lot to do with plant hormone metabolism and plant physiology. I'm just telling you this is a very um, storied pathway in plants. So that's how you make the uh, accessory pigments that are isoprenoids. Okay. All right. So if we put together the entire electron transport chain for hard plant photosynthesis, all occurring, uh, again, on the thylakoid membranes, which are endomembranous components of the chloroplast. You start off with light, and light is going to react with photosystem 2 complex, is how we normally describe it. And there is the um, quinone pool pathway, which is going to react and finally get reduced to a QH2, and there'll be a Q cycle. This is very similar when you think about the NADH pathway in electron transport chain mitochondria, okay? Only you're not, talk, you're not starting with that NADH, you're starting just with the quinone pool. And there is a um, bio Phyton A P680 oxidoreductase system. At the same time that occurs, that's all at that water splitting complex. You generate, remember you start with two H2Os, you make four protons and one molecular oxygen. Then you're just essentially running a proton pump, just like we talk about in the uh, intermitochondrial membrane. You're moving protons through the system through the Q cycle. You're doing this reduction of cytochrome B6. 
you're working through an iron sulfur center, and that iron sulfur center works through cytochrome out, reduce, reducing that. And then plastocyanin is a mobile carrier that then carries the electrons to P700. And remember, it goes through the uh, A0, A1, and then it goes to an iron sulfur center. The iron sulfur center of photosystem one complex is what gets that photon at that particular protein pigment complex. You're then moving the electrons through ferredoxin, the iron sulfur center there, and then FAD, flavonad nucleotide. I already discussed this in the last lecture. And that's where you synthesize NADPH. Okay. Um, now, there is a proton translocating ATPase which has a similar structure to the F0, F1 in uh, mitochondria, only this is going to be the CF0. Now, that's the embedded cylinder in the membrane of, the, of this thylakoid. Uh, and then the CF1 is sort of external to the interior of that thylakoid membrane. And that's where you synthesize ATP in the stroma. Similar again, similar chite to what occurs in the mitosol, the mitochondria. So you have a proton translocating ATP synthase, basically. Okay. So it, it kind of puts together, I think, you know, we've already discussed. Um, now, again, back at that water, uh, the event where we're splitting water, remember this is a photolytic effect, right? And you're driving electrons away while you generate molecular oxygen and four protons. Now that's gonna go through a mag manganese complex at photosystem two. It's gonna go through four different oxidation state domains, S naught, actually five, excuse me, S naught two S four, okay? So that's the oxygen evolu um, evolution complex, right? Or oxygen emitting complex. That's going to work through a, a Z intermediate to P680, and that's going to drive that P680 up to its excited state. And that's what's ultimately going to then, the P680 protein pigment complex is going to start then going through that um, pathway of chlorophyll A, pheophyton A, QA, and then and we get into the quinones that I just covered for you. Okay? So wanted to go back and talk to you about that water-splitting complex that Oxygen evolving complex, right? So here is a little bit of detail. In photosystem two, the energy of four photons is used by the oxygen evolving complex, that's known as the OEC, okay? It's a protein pigment complex, to drive the splitting of two H2O to produce dioxygen and four reducing equivalents, the four protons and the electrons, right? So it's 2H2O um, going to molecular oxygen with four electrons plus four protons, okay, in the presence of four photons of light. Now, in an iron-nickel system, okay, the energy released by the oxidation of carbon monoxide is used to split one water molecule to produce carbon dioxide and two reducing equivalents. Okay, so understand this reaction. All right, so this has to do with an iron nickel enzyme that utilizes carbon monoxide. 
right? And so it takes carbon monoxide and H2O and makes CO2, two electrons, two protons. Now, the reason I brought that up, that chemistry is known as a water-gas shift reaction. And it was first discovered way back in the 18th century by Felice Fontana. We happen to be Italian. And now that same process is used for large-scale industrial production of hydrogen gas, as you might guess, from carbon monoxide. Okay. Now, in that system, because it's in biochemistry, the commercial process requires a reaction temperature of up to 400 degrees centigrade. And it uses actually an iron chromium oxide catalyst. And that actually, if you use that, if you use a copper-based catalyst, you can lower that activation temperature to a mere 225 degrees. Okay, so you get the idea that these reactions are used in industry. But notice, remember, where the endothermic component is there is you have a catalyst, of course, because you have there's something to be able to do with the electron exchange. But the same time, to, to bounce off of that as an electron exchange factor. But where are you getting the, the energy? You're not getting the energy from the photons splitting up the water. You're getting heat there. Right? So when you think about the actual S0 to S4 system, Protons are released in, in this, it's called the water cycle or the S-state cycle. And it goes through these four different states, okay? And so you go from the S0, and this is a redox, all the way to the S4. So there's five total. Now, protons are released in this cycle each time when you go from one oxidation state to the next except for the S1 to S2 transition. So doesn't that sound similar to the succinate dehydrogenase level in the second complex in the electron transfer? It does to me. So electron donation comes from the manganese calcium cluster, and it goes to P680 excited state, and that's aided by a redox-active tyrosine. So each step involves a single oxidation of a manganese ion in that cluster for this water splitting enzyme and it starts at the s naught with three manganese at the oxidation state three that's roman numeral three plus a man one manganese four oxidation state now that will advance all the way to s3 where you'll end up with four now manganese at the four level of oxidation state okay now the exact oxidation state of s4 is so short the time frequency is so short it's very difficult to measure and also because you're getting light coming in at p680 there working through that redox active tyrosine okay but it, it's been argued to be either a three manganese four or a manganese five or three manganese four plus a manganese four oxyl radical. Okay, just so you get some of the detail. Um, understanding this is a this has been an issue in biochemistry and biophysics for a long time, and so I had to look 
through the new literature on this. So understanding the molecular mechanism of the oxygen-oxygen bond formation, because remember, you're getting one oxygen, right? Elemental oxygen from one water molecule, another oxygen that's one half, O2, right? From the other water molecule. So how do you make the molecular oxygen, the dioxygen, right? O2. So that's the question. So what's the molecular mechanism for O2 formation in photosystem two during that estate cycle I just went through very briefly? So that's something that's been questioned in bio-inorganic chemistry circles for the last, I don't know, 50, 60, 70 years. So the importance of that is absolutely important because the splitting of water is how we get molecular oxygen. So be good if we really understood that mechanism. And plus, it just people are curious. So the mechanism for um, molecular oxygen, O2, is consistent with the structure of the catalytic center of photosystem two because it shares a similarity to the mechanism of the water splitting of that system I just talked about. The iron nickel carbon monoxide dehydrogenase. Okay. So that's called for short CODH. So carbon monoxide dehydrogenase is an enzyme that I told you about a moment ago. It takes carbon monoxide and water and it takes an electron acceptor and it reduces that electron acceptor and it generates carbon dioxide. Okay. So. The chemical process is catalyzed by carbon monoxide dehydrogenase. That is an, is, was an example, I told you five minutes ago, of a water-gas shift reaction. Okay? And that's essentially what's involved. So when you think about this, it's typical to think the water-splitting cycle is triggered and driven by the four charge separation dynamics of those different oxidation states called S0, S1, S2, S3, and then finally S4. Um, it is known as a mononuclear, excuse me, manganese oxo complex. And that can induce a charge separation, just that structure all by itself. You need charge separation, right? Because you have to combine two <laughs> oxygen atoms, right? So you need charge separation. Because think of all the electronegativity you're talking about, right? I think it is fascinating, right? But that doesn't really doesn't put together the catalytic cycle. So they've been looking at dynamics of charge separation. And the way that they do this in the laboratory is by increasing the number of manganese atoms in a manganese oxide complex. They can also utilize a proton electron acceptor component in the reaction mix, and that's done step by step, remember one electron at a time. And what they're trying to identify are what are the intermediates so that then you can isolate the entire chemical process. And we already know that it's following charge separation dynamics, which usually means it leads it leads to in this system with the manganese and 
uh, elemental oxygen. It's going to lead to O2 generation. And it's going to happen actually before you think about the cycle, before the cycle is actually finished. Because right? the last part of the cycle is, re is rebuilding the whole redox system, right? As they always are. Now, that kind of approach, or it's known as a building block approach, um, has been measured by what's known as a non adiabatic electron wave pocket study. Okay, now these are biophysicists, so just follow along with me here. Now, they, they then have suggested that they can do a photocatalytic cycle with a binuclear manganese oxo complex. Okay, and, they, and they're trying to examine this by going to a ground state water splitting catalytic cycle. And ultimately, it's going to be a tetranuclear manganese oxo complex. Okay. Now, on charge separation dynamics, which needs to take place four discrete times, so this is a temporal sequence, by four discrete photon absorptions of specific wavelength, as you know, and that will complete the circuit of the catalytic cycle. At each incident of charge separation. So you have a proton and an electron, and they are simultaneously lost from whatever the that intermediate moiety is. And it could that could be surrounding, for example, a catalyst, or in this case, it's that manganese complex, which is found in the protein pigment system P680. Okay. Now that that system has to keep some aspect of electrochemical neutrality, okay, such that this charge separation dynamics has kind of the following characteristics. Charge separation dynamics generally passes across a region, usually through a conical intersection, because you need spatial distribution that inevitably, inevitably is accompanied by what is known as a non-adiabatic transition of what are otherwise adiabatic electronic states. Okay? So the basic mechanism of a single charge separation event, we, the way that it emerges, I think is the right word, is a coupled proton electron wave packet transfer. Coupled proton electron wave packet transfer. Okay, That's known as the CPEWT in, uh, in biophysics. And so one of them is going to be a proton coupled electron transfer, and that's called PCET. So in coupled proton electron wave packet transfer, Electron wave packets and protons must individually take a slightly different molecular path. Now, that's not the same, but it's similar to hydrogen atomic migration. Ultimately, these pathways have to arrive at different um, I guess I'll call them space-time destinations. 
in a single or a multiple molecular series. That's the only way you're going to get charge separation in this P680 system, okay? So acceptors of electrons and protons for that CPEWT will be different from each other and they may spatially be separated so that electrons and protons are relay transferred after time to their final destination. So we talk about different states of atoms. For example, in nitrogen atoms, there's the Rydberg state of nitrogen atoms in amino acids. And those usually form a highly quasi-degenerate manifold of electronic states. And these spread in that space according to a temporal framework. And they will serve ultimately as acceptors of those transferred electrons. Okay. So charge separation due to the CPEWT, that wave packet phenomenon, will take place only in a photo-excited state in this photosynthetic system here of splitting water. But even in the ground electronic states, this can occur. So the ground state separation is simply induced by contact, right? Close proximity within that, what? Protein pigment complex, housed in that thylakoid membrane, which is all hydrophobic otherwise, right? So that enhances collision. And that is with external molecules of any positive charge, obviously. So the quantum mechanism is similar to that of chemoluminescence or also bioluminescence of the same uh, physical mechanism. And so they can refer to these as a chemi-charge separation. 